Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister, Kay. And we're sitting in our hotel room in San Diego. It is Wednesday at about uh, five minutes till 1 p.m. on, like I said, on Wednesday. So Comic-Con hasn't started yet. For other people. Uh, Well, Comic-Con officially hasn't started yet. We've started our trip. Our trip's been going for a good couple of days. And that's what we figured we'd start with. Uh, Normally, I think what we do is just a basic, you know, here's what we did at Con itself. But we had a, a pretty good trip out. Um... Since uh, Comic-Con starts on Wednesday and we, we drive so I can buy whatever I want, not that I usually do, but it's nice to have the option. I would like to note we can also accept whatever the booths are doing as giveaways. Free t-shirts, free books. Like the few dozen books you'll no doubt have by the time we're recording Sunday's recap. Yes. Um, it's it's nice to have options. But since it's it's that way, it takes a couple of days to drive here from, from uh, Texas. So at that point, we're taking, you know, the Monday, Tuesday off anyways, at which point, you know, if we leave Friday evening and have a leisurely drive, we can go do some stuff. So we did that and did some stuff. Uh, this time, um, really the main highlights, uh, let's see, Friday we didn't do a whole lot. We just kind of got out of town and got some sleep. Uh, then um, that Saturday uh, was really just trying to escape from Texas. That's a, a full day endeavor from, from the, the heart of Texas. That's about how I phrased it too. But then Sunday we uh we drove through Tucson and hit two comic book stores. We did. One of them uh, not, not really impressive. It was more of a pop culture store than what I would consider a a true comic book store. I mean, they had new comics, but not like you would expect a new comic rack at a something that that's a main part of their business to be. And maybe it is at that store. I don't know. It just it's they had a lot of action figures and a lot of magic cards for 10 cents. They were, yeah. Uh, and they had back issues. It wasn't a horrible store. There was one or two things that we found kind of off-putting, personally. it's It didn't seem to have the wide selection and stuff that I would want out of a store. And frankly, it also felt a little dark. Yes. Then we went to another one that was really not too far away, just a couple of miles, I think, if that. Uh, Fantasy Comics mm-hmm. in uh, Tucson, Arizona. And now, granted, we only spent 15 minutes in there, maybe, but it, in my mind, is a highly recommended store. They've been around 39 years, 10 years at this location. And from the outside, it literally looks like nothing. You could easily drive by. And if you don't see fantasy comics, there's no other sign it's a comic book store. But inside, they've got a a fairly good-sized kids section. I was going to say, the moment you walk in the door, you see... Kids are welcome, kids are appreciated, and we have material kids will enjoy, and kids don't have to go past anything you don't want them looking at to get to the stuff that is for them. Yes, the kids' area is literally the minute you walk in the front door, there's an area for them to kind of play or whatever. So if if you want to bring your kids in, you know, uh, with your spouse or whatever, have them kind of hang loose in the front, you then have the run of the store. The store has really good back issue selection, really good trade paperback selection, an amazing uh, new comics wall. 
and a lot of uh, action figures. They had some of the um, Toon Tumbler type glasses. Um, One of the things that I really liked was an island of bookcases where kind of the center one was a recommended reading and seemed to be a lot of graphic novels. Mm -hmm. But then all the bookcases surrounding it were uh, labeled very clearly by artist. Artist or author sometimes. Yeah. But you had also pointed out the end cap of here's some hidden gems. Yeah. Or what they recommend or whatever. Uh, it was it was an impressive store. It was very much trying to help you find more that you would enjoy if you had already liked something. Yes, exactly. And they seem very much just as part of the DNA of the store to, to have a little bit of a recommendation engine kind of built in. Mm-hmm. And I, I really respect that. Um, that was the kind of store, if I was looking for one in the Tucson area to, to go to every week, it would be at the top of my list out of the admittedly two stores we looked at. Yes. And there were other stores uh, that I saw on the map. These were just the two that felt convenient to the interstate we were on. Uh, and the fact that we were going through on a Sunday and they were open was also a nice because I was afraid I was going to see a lot of stores that weren't open because it was Sunday. A lot of comic stores tend to be open some days. Mondays, they're more likely to be closed, actually. Interesting. Uh, because, again, people are at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need Tuesday to get ready for the new comics and stuff like that. And I don't want to sound like I'm um, praising them faintly or whatever, because uh, out of the two stores or whatever. This is one that I would be very happy going oh, yes. to on a regular basis. And it seemed like a very full-service, good comic shop. And the fact it's been around 39 years, yeah. on the one hand, blows me away. Very few stores are that old. But also looking at it, it doesn't surprise me at all. It looks like it's very well run. Yeah. So um, I chatted with the clerk there for a little bit. Very, very nice uh, young lady. Um, almost bought a few things. They they had a few things where it's like, ooh, I should see if they have the, the volume of this trade I'm missing. Of course, they didn't. But it was worth looking. Um, and I was looking for one or two other comics they didn't have. But, you know, hey, it's uh, going to happen. Um, but they at least had enough that it's one of the few stores where I actually pulled up my Excel file of I'm looking for this, that, and the other. So that was a lot of fun. Then we dove through the uh, Air P- Museum. Pima Air and Space Museum, which is next to, I think it's also called uh, like the Pima Air Boneyard yeah. or something to that effect. Uh, because it was Sunday, the guided tours of the Boneyard were not in operation. They're a Monday through Friday thing. But just driving alongside this airplane boneyard was eye-opening. I mean, if you ever wondered where airplanes went when they die, we found it. Well, and this was one of those things that uh, literally it was on the way back to the freeway from the comic stores. And we're like, well, we've got time. Let's go dive in. So we did. Mm -hmm. And it was one where the museum looked pretty cool. Uh, but fortunately, you had realized that the indoor part, which is what I was thinking was the museum. Was a small portion. Was sort of the lobby of it, if you will. Yeah. There's this huge outdoor section because it's planes, big planes, helicopters, big things you don't always put indoors. And, of course, it was, what, 110? Uh, 104. 104. 100 and something. Yeah. So we had quickly realized it was either a go back for the cameras as we were walking in before we even realized all that. Or do it later, but it was kind of a research mission, and it was it was a cool place. Well, the planes in the boneyard that amazed me—I mean, there were the ones with uh, the doors missing and the things like that—but the ones that you were helping me sort of parse out. Okay, what is going on with these? Were the ones that said U.S. Navy, 
that we realized must be from old aircraft carriers. Well, because the wings had folded up. Yeah. You, I think you were thinking that they'd like cut the wing I'm to like, do that for storage purposes. I'm like, no, no. No, I could tell it was part of the design of the airplane, but I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. Because they have, and these almost had to be like World War II vintage sort of things. Yeah. Because uh, they were not jets. They were planes. And again, the wings kind of fold up on top of themselves uh, just so they store better inside the belly of the beast. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of fun. And then we headed over to Mesa, Arizona. This is where TJ uh, lives. And we had dinner with him at... Uh, Hub Bar and Grill. Yeah. Good food. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that one of the challenges eating out with us is, of course, we're gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. And the last thing I want to do on the way to Comic-Con is get poisoned. Um and so TJ was really good about, you know, finding some options, making sure we knew where the restaurant was. It was easy to get to off the freeway, too. It was. Yeah. Uh, and it was really good food. And and we had sent him, here's, you know, uh, uh, findmegluten-free.com or whatever the website to help narrow it mm-hmm. down. We, we play fair. <laughs> we told him how we would be finding a restaurant if we had no local contact to help us. But it's always good to good to get somebody local of, hey, I've heard good things about it, or I know friends who've eaten there, or it comes highly recommended, whatever. Turns out he hadn't eaten here, but the restaurant general manager, I guess, is a celiac and has yeah. been for a few decades. A lot of restaurants that have gluten-free menus, they'll put a toothpick in the item mm-hmm. to say, hey, this is the gluten-free one. This restaurant has toothpicks with the words gluten-free printed on them. Yeah. So there's no confusion. Yeah. Um, so they took good care of us there. We had a, a really fun dinner with TJ. He was uh, great to meet. This is the first time I met him face to face. It is not often I enjoy a four-hour dinner, but that dinner could have gone longer and I'd have still been having fun. That yeah. was wonderful. Absolutely. Um, TJ is just a, a great guy. I, I've always enjoyed uh, doing the Skype conversations with him, but you know, I was really uh, impressed just by the 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 depth and breadth of his knowledge. He's very well-informed, very smart guy, mm-hmm. a very good sense of humor. Um, so yeah, it was it was a blast. Very much enjoyed that. Um, so we did that that night. Then we made it- To Avondale. So uh, the other side of Phoenix, essentially. Mm-hmm. We always try to do the uh, cross-town type stuff at evening versus rush hour, just uh, because we can. Because I'm a wimp. Well, because the next day was Monday. Yes. So we would have had weekday rush hour traffic. Um, so that day we drove through Joshua Tree National Park. Mm-hmm. We realized we might have wanted to look up what a Joshua Tree looked like before going into the national park. I thought they would give us a brochure that told us. Instead, they were telling us, be sure to have water. There's no water in the park. Be sure to have water. Drink lots of water. Because it was a hundred and something out there. It was hot. And it was good advice. It was, yeah. And... uh National parks are always worth supporting. I, I think yes. it's great that we have them. There was about the first 20 miles in the park that I'm wondering, it's like, you know, I've seen desert like this for the last day or two. I don't know why this desert's special. And then we hit the part where we get the special trees and stuff. Not the Joshua trees, but the other special trees. Yes. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. A little too hot to go outside, but have fun. Okay, uh, go, go, go take photos. She's the designated photographer of the group. Um, it it was gorgeous, and I had been told on uh, a clear day you can see down to like Baja, Mexico. Okay, we didn't pick a clear day, but you could still see for miles at some of the sections, and it was just amazing. It was interesting because around the section that had that that grove of trees or whatever, 
you look and it just, the view keeps going. It's yeah. this huge valley. But then you get past that, you go a little ways further and you're in these really small valleys. And I was thinking, because we, we took the entrance that had the big visitor center versus the little, you know, one person shack. Uh, and I'm thinking if you'd gone through that other entrance, mm. you'd be going, wow, I don't, it's a small valley. I don't get the big thing. And then boom, Ooh. this big vista opens up. So I could see where mm. that would be pretty dramatic. Yeah. And then we did eventually find the Joshua tree. Yes. We eventually. Actually, plural, there's more than the one, but. Yeah. After a while, I started asking John, I'm like, do you think Joshua just named one tree he was really fond of? And that's why we can't find it. So after that, we're, uh, we're Big driving. Bear Lake. We go through Big Bear Lake. Uh, this is a, a teachable moment for me. <laughs> there are certain things when I drive that I, I don't mind. There are certain things I just don't like. Big, twisty, edge-of-mountain roads with hairpin turns and stuff I don't like. Um, and it's funny because Big Bend had similar things. Yes. Big Bear has certain things. <laughs> Big B anything may just be off the list. Well, in my pseudo-defense, it was not advertised as hairpin turns. It was advertised as gorgeous vistas. And from what I hear, it had gorgeous views, but I was busy looking at the damn road, so yeah. I wouldn't fall off it. Well, and fortunately, I was paying attention to traffic as well yes. as the views. Yeah, because we get up to Big Bear Lake, uh, which is actually a very nice area, very scenic. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. glad we did the thing. Yeah. Uh, we hit the um, Discovery Center mm -hmm. literally seconds before they closed. Enough time to discover the facilities, which was the important discovery. <laughs> and I would like to point out that the park rangers found someone in this party hilarious when they said, if you wish, you may discover the ladies' room while I discover the men's room. Yes. And I walk into the ladies' room listening to a park ranger laughing. <laughs> well, it's funny because I come out and uh, so... First uh, full day on the trip, I am wearing a uh, new Teen Titans shirt. That's what I had on when I had dinner with TJ. As we get out of that hotel in the morning, somebody's like, hey, I like the shirt. Is the, the person I'm checking out with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Comic-Con. They were so jealous because they, uh, she, her husband, her two boys, big fans, that kind of stuff. So here's a card. I do a podcast. Um, she gave you homework. Yes. To, to party hard during the uh, the the trip. I'm like, I'll, I'll see what I can do on that. Um but at the the Discovery Center, I had on a uh, like a, a big crowd shirt or whatever of DC Universe characters, and it's funny because it's a mishmash of characters. It's uh, '80s era, so you got the New Teen Titans, you've got uh, Justice Leaguers, you've got like the uh, uh, New Gods type characters, and the Super Friends kind of auxiliary members samurai el dorado and one or two that i think were only in the superpowers comic book how funny so i'm not even sure i think there are like two characters on there i'm not sure i could i'm pretty sure i couldn't name how funny anyways that's what yeah. i had on that day in the the park rangers like well as far as superhero goes i think you've got it covered to which you say afterwards no no it's like he's picked his party dc or marvel <laughs> yes it's true um so we do that we head down into the Pasadena-ish area, yeah. give or take. San Bernardino. San Bernardino, some part of LA. And at this point, I'm sure Sam's like, no, no, it's this part of- Yes, yes. And the reason Sam knows that is he met us for dinner. Yeah, well, I Not te I texted Sam at one point because oh, I yes. was giving him the updates. And at one point, I sent him a text and I'm like, so we are on this state highway, eight miles from this interstate, not moving. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. Yes. We're going down one of the hairpin turns, and she's like, brake lights. Oh, it's like, I'll slow down then. I slow down, come to a stop. 
And in front of us is a pickup truck with a couple of uh, bicycles, uh, mid twenties or whatever. Yeah. Some new bikes. I mean, they have the tags on the bikes. And I'm like, at least we got something to look at. And as we're, we're, we're stopping, uh, police cars coming up the road with his PA system saying, yeah, there's a car fire. It'd be about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Just, just hang loose. And so we do. And fortunately, we were in the shade. It was up in the 700, 7,000 foot range. So it was cool. Yeah. Stroll the windows down, chill out for a little bit. And about 25 minutes later, we're on our way. Watch the people in the pickup get out of the truck, take the lit tags off their bikes. Two of the three. They left one on. That's true. It start, was facing the other way. Start to wonder if they're going to pull out the bikes and just go for a ride. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at this point, I mean, we're in the mountains. So I never even saw any smoke from this car fire, which was no. not far away. No. But I had sent him the text of, uh, I caught the word fire. Uh, caught that we're delayed 20 minutes. So when we got to Sam, he's going, so what did delay you? Not that I'm upset or anything. Yeah. I'm, I just didn't hear about it on the news. So it must have been minor, I think. It was one car. It was a small car. It was. It was a small car and they had it totally dealt with when they finally cleared traffic in both directions to resume driving. Yeah, my hat is off to uh, the, the firefighters, the, the sheriff department or whichever yeah. police department it was, the uh, park rangers and stuff, because they had everything under control. Everybody stopped. Everyone was just really chilling out. I mean, nobody was, oh, I've got to get going kind of a thing. There were a few who turned around behind well, us. One of the things that fascinated me, and I want to say going back to some of the politest drivers we've ever been around, some of the cars in front of us that were in the sun. Oh, yeah. They pulled back a little because we had just passed a big turnoff area. They had like a, enough room for multiple cars to park. So they went over there, parked in the shade, were more relaxed. And then when it was clear cars are starting up and everything, they started up their cars and got back in their place in line right where they'd been. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that was uh, – uh, was well-behaved drivers, yeah. not something I would take for granted. Yeah, exactly. It didn't shock me, but it's like, hey, no. this is cool. Yeah. So we do that. We uh, uh, make it down in, in to the, the LA Megaplex or whatever you would call the – I guess Southern California is what you call it these days. Yeah. Um, and then uh, met Sam over at uh, Outback Steakhouse mm -hmm. and then uh, his wife and his two kids. Mm -hmm. And his two kids are cute. They are. They're, they're very sweet. Adorable and they They're friends. They're friends. They're they're good dinner guests. They are. They they you know, were off on the side. Sam and I and his wife had plenty of time to talk. Kids were well behaved, mm -hmm. really good. Uh I learned a few things from his son, Eddie. Uh his son was wearing a Power Ranger shirt, which yes. I thought was cool because of course I'm a Power Ranger fan. Of course his mm -hmm. parents know that. Yes, so. yes. But that was a that was a fun meal. I, I always enjoy hanging with Sam and getting to meet his family. Yeah. Because typically what I have is the, oh, they're home. I've got to go. Because <laughs> I, I guess they go off to like Knott's Berry Farm or to uh, yeah. her uh, the, her father's house or whatever and stuff. So it's not like it's an imposition or whatever. But it's it's one of those things I don't take for granted because I know when you've got a family and you're trying to, to record a podcast, it's easy for there either to be other noise in the house or depending yeah. on the age of the kids, other heavy bandwidth usage in the house. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it happens and stuff. But uh, so, yeah, that was a, a fun meal. Really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. um, that lasted uh, a couple hours, too. Yeah. The way it should. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, getting to, to hang with Sam again and stuff was and meet his family for the first time was fun, just like meeting TJ for the first time was fun. Then we made it to Hemet. Hemet. 
made it to Hemet, California. I've lived in Southern California for 23 years thereabouts. I'm not even sure I could have told you where Hemet was on the map or if it existed. So, new experience. Not bad. Um, and that was another one where uh, checking out of the hotel, I got a comment on the shirt. I think that was uh, Deadpool that time. Yes, yes. Um, inadvertently, I'm doing apparently all red shirts at Comic-Con this year in San Diego. Except maybe uh, maybe mo- next Monday. I'm not sure. Um, so we did that. We then headed to Escondido for uh, lunch with one of your friends, uh, Angie. Uh, fun, as always. Uh, getting to, to see some of her coworkers. Because what we do is we pick her up lunch, bring her lunch to her office, hang there for a bit. A uh, new toy came. We're not going to say what the new toy is. I want to see if the new toy pans out before announcing what the new toy is. Because if okay. it doesn't, I'm disavowing ever having gotten a new toy. Okay. But I would like to thank Angie and her office for accepting delivery of new toys. Since yes. We weren't sure it would get to us in Texas in time. Yeah, it was one of those. It would be delivered between the 15th and the 19th. I'm like, oh, I leave town on the 15th. So it's like, well, let's have it somewhere that will be on the 19th. Yeah. Sure enough, it shows up on the 14th. It's like, okay. But hey, it worked. Yeah. Um, so we did that. We then checked into the hotel here yesterday, then hung out with the Chans, mm-hmm. uh, kind of walked around the convention area before the crazy, got to see some of the stuff getting built up. Mm-hmm. The Amazon Village. The for- South Park Village. Yes. The stuff kind of behind where they were starting to build up uh, the convention center, where they were building up, uh, I guess the whole FX thing got a mm-hmm. late start because something was slow yeah. moving out the previous day. So I'm sure it was yeah. a very busy night for some people. And behind the Marriott, we saw a car for Sharknado 4. Yeah. And where they're filming for um, the sci-fi live from oh, Comic-Con. Oh, yeah, live from Comic-Con stuff, that stuff. Mm-hmm. We saw the Con HQ stage setting up at the Hilton Bayfront. Yeah. So it, it's kind of cool getting to Comic-Con a day or two early because there's so much construction or assembly, I guess, whatever you want to call it, happening Mm -hmm. of just, you know, for the next couple of days, really starting tomorrow, uh, Thursday, it's not a mini carnival because mini doesn't begin to describe it. There's like a a 12 block-ish, maybe more area. Like it's an eight block convention center and at least four blocks around the periphery of it uh, in every direction except the water. Well, no, I take it back in the water area too because that's where they're going to have the Entertainment Weekly stuff. And we could see the IMAX screen had already been set. For Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek Beyond. So literally a couple of blocks in every direction, things are being set up as just impromptu venues for various things. Yeah. Um, Don't know if you can hear that in the background, but we've got an ice machine in the uh, freezer apparently making noise randomly for the heck of it. Uh, But better that than all the stuff that either the construction or all the music happening during Comic-Con. That's one of the nice things about staying a little further out, uh, uh, further afield. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we hung out with them, uh, did the Cheesecake Factory last night. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, walked around, hit the Ralph's store, just to go get a few things, stock up the, uh, the mini kitchen we've got here, uh, at the, the hotel room and for them to grab some snack type stuff. And then collapsed for the one time we can sleep late yes. during Comic-Con. We indulged, we slept late, uh, hence the recording this when we're recording it versus, I don't know, early in the morning. Um, but it's one of those things that. Uh, Wednesday, because preview night starts at 6, ends at 9, it's easy for this to be a late night. And I really kind of hate starting out the convention tired. Yeah. So sleeping in today was just, a, a I think, a smart move. Um, we're going to head over to the convention center and uh, 
couple hours. Uh, we've already got our RFID badges, but apparently we've got to get the badge holder. I don't know what. Other, the lanyard and the program. The lanyard and the program. They've changed the, the stuff up this year because of how they're doing the panels and whatnot. Or not the panels, the badges. Um, but yeah, should be fun. Um, we're planning on recording with uh, James and Eric from Cowabunga. Uh, uh, John Suntress from Word Balloon. Uh, Brian Chrisman, uh, Pants from Comic Geek Speak. Uh, I'm trying to think if we have anyone else lined up for the panel or not. Calvin may or may not show. I'm not sure. Uh, Calvin Reed from Publisher Weekly. Not sure when he's getting into the convention uh, or if he's even coming. I thought I saw him on the panel, but uh, Suntress wasn't sure if he'd be there. Um, and just record before the convention and stuff, which from my perspective, a lot more convenient. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like yeah, there's so many things to do during Comic-Con that, that any one panel knocks you literally out of about 50 others. Yeah. And particularly last year when it was the library, it was a bit more because just the, the travel time. Yeah. So we're going to try to find a quiet place to record, do that. Should be fun. Uh, and then do a preview night. So we'll be back uh, probably later tonight. If we're lucky, in less than 12 hours. Yeah, and if we're still awake and have time, and uh, do a quick recording on uh, both how the recording went and how preview night went. So with that, I think we're done for now. Yep. It is about 9.40 or so on Wednesday night. We have just finished, uh, excuse me, uh, we've just finished both preview night and uh, some sushi. Yay! We uh, ducked out a preview night a little early. Took advantage of the sushi place here at the uh, near the hotel over in Liberty Station. Just uh, get a bite to eat. So after we recorded this morning um, about our trip out, we uh, also did a, a subscription box light segment on a Wizard Comic Con box. We then um, went off to go grab some lunch. We did that over at uh, Noodles and Company. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, Asian, not not Asian. It's a pasta place. Noodles, go figure. Uh, they used to be in Austin where we live, but they uh, left town. So having the chance to to eat there was kind of fun. But it was also a nice quick meal. It got us over to the convention center in time to go through the new process this year, which was very smooth, very painless. Yeah, it was basically scan the RFID badge they mailed you to, to enter the building. To enter the building, to go up, to go get your lanyard your program guide, your quick guide, your bag, etc., and then kind of get dumped off under the sails. Well, and because we already had our badges, we didn't have to stay together once we scanned our badges into the pickup point so we could go to different lines and get different bags. Well, and also there's no waiting for, okay, they've got to scan the barcode, get the thing off the printer, do this, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a bunch of people just ready to hand you the stuff. So literally as fast as people could get in the building, they could absorb them. You didn't see how confused I got at the first line I went to and I was so confused. I rejected it and went to the next line. I thought a four-year-old was trying to collect for their badge in front of me. And it turned out the four-year-old was the one doing the distribution. Was a volunteer. Yes. Wow, they've loosened the age requirement. Yeah, the four-year-old was helping her mom. So she would give the stuff to whoever was claiming it and then turn back to mom, retrieve the next batch, turn around and say, take from me, take from me. That's funny. I didn't notice that at all. 
but because I thought she was going to the volunteer to claim her own, I thought I should skip that line, move on. And she was so disappointed that I wouldn't take from her. You crushed her. I did. She will now have a, a life of defeat and, and just despair <gasps> oh. because of this moment. She was having so much fun. Um, so we hung out under the sails for a little bit. We tried to coordinate with a uh, um, couple of people for the podcasting uh, panelist panel. Um, never did hear from uh, from Brian Chrisman of CGS. Uh, not sure when Calvin's getting out here and stuff. Um, had some coordination problems with uh, Eric and James. With us being press, them being not, mm-hmm. they'd kind of segregated, the, the con had segregated different portions of the audience to different areas. So they were uh, able to take advantage of some other opportunities, which made sense. Uh, happy for them to have had that chance. We then hooked up with John Suntress, uh, had a great discussion with him. Definitely. We uh, were able to find a, a room that was vacant and uh, able to quietly, uh, you know, off on the side, go to our, our panel, panelist panel. I love listening to you guys talk. I learn a lot from it. I'm reminded of a lot from my childhood, you know, as you guys discussed the cartoons and the comics from that period. Mm-hmm. It just, it was a great conversation. Well, John Suntrath is just a wealth of information. Yeah. He knows half the industry, I think. Um, very well read, very knowledgeable, just on a, a variety of different subjects. Um, and it's just, it's a blast talking with him. He's close enough to my age that uh, we've got very similar, I think, sensibilities and tastes, yet just far enough different that I think we grew up on just slightly different cartoons, slightly different, you know, touchstones. And he's watched a few things uh, later in life that I haven't, you know, the Mm -hmm. Flintstones movies, I haven't seen those, a few things like that, that it it makes for a very fun discussion. Well, and at one point, uh, we had a discussion of just regional differences. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the family stories you grow up on and how they influence what entertainment you relate to and yeah. resonates with you, which yeah. was fascinating. Yeah. No, he's he's a great guy. That was a lot of fun. We finished that up right about the time they were letting people into the hall. It was perfect timing. So we stepped out of the room we were in into the stampede down the escalator into the hall. Um, and then... We headed over to the Moyes, talk mm-hmm. with them briefly, and more importantly, drop our heavy bag of recording equipment. And then uh, I guess we darted over to the Lionsgate because we thought the Power Ranger shirts might have been given out at that point. And they, at that point, they may well have been. By the time we got to the booth, not booth, not so much. Um, and again, it's just a huge, huge exhibit hall. It's about the size of ten football fields in terms of square footage. And while I know the layout from the floor plan and from past years. It still takes a while. It's like, okay, wait, where's what? What does Marvel's booth look like this year? Where is Lionsgate? Mm-hmm. And there are certain booths that, from certain angles, are unavoidable and easy to find. But from almost any other angle, yeah. Oh wait, that was the booth. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the evening, we made it to there, over to Boom DC. Not in any particular order. I think we actually had a sensible walking plan. The aisle or two of of Book uh, publishers, uh, so Diamond, DC Boom, Marvel, made it down towards the gaming section. We walked more or less... The entire length. The the entire length. I was going to say almost the periphery of the floor. Yeah. Um, we stayed more towards the, the water side than the street side in the Hall G area. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people will tell you that uh, preview night 
uh, for all its faults, and it has several, but it's allegedly the least crowded night on the hall floor. I don't think that's been true for a couple of years, and I haven't heard that for a couple of years. I, I was going to say, I question the logic of it because there are the fewest uh, panels and programs going on during that time frame, but it's the night that the fewest badges are available for. Which is why they say it. Well, there's only one other thing going on officially, and that's the uh, the screenings of various shows. I think tonight, technically, they have a second thing going oh. also. Um, comics for education or something over in the library. Uh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I think our plan tonight was really quite a good one, because instead of trying to walk the whole floor or trying to beeline to certain booths that had the hard-to-get exclusives, we prioritized checking in with friends. Yeah. And just as John Suntress pointed out, you know, this is such a great convention for the networking and the face-to-face -face time with the people you only see here. Mm-hmm. And so we went by Diamond and saw someone we only see on his every other year. Yeah, because he didn't even come every year. Cycle and went to the book publishers and checked in with a few people and stopped by Marvel and DC briefly. And that worked out really well. Yeah, it was good. Um, it's one of those things where the exclusives get a little crazy. So I try to avoid the toy booths and a few things like that by and large. But was able to get into the Bandai booth enough to, to kind of see what there was to see and stuff. Uh, and again, it's just nice seeing kind of the general overview of the floor. To me, preview night's always just kind of a ramble, uh, you know, run around, not run around, but um, wander around uh, with no kind of must do this, must do that kind of agenda. Mm -hmm. You know, the evening takes me where it takes me, whereas later in the weekend, I will be very methodical in how I go through. Because I had thought about just... Start zigzagging Artist Alley, but it's one of those things, preview night's a horrible night to do that. Yeah. Because it's empty. Not empty, but it's it's uh, not fully populated yet. Yeah. Because some of these guys are, are using it for networking times. This is a good chance for them to go elsewhere, or they just haven't arrived yet. So just uh, wandering around is, is a good plan for me. Uh, there was one exclusive I was curious about. We got some information at Bandai on how to buy. They've got a postcard size... Uh, explanation of the buying ticketing process of you can line up in the morning under the sales to get the ticket to get the ticket um at 7 a.m yeah it, well depending on crowds the line may start moving as early as 7 a.m to which point i'm thinking yes i will definitely not be doing this uh, take one ticket for each item read it carefully if you get a guaranteed purchase you can come to the booth that day only to purchase the item if you get a random drawing ticket You've been entered into the drawing to purchase the item. Check back at the booth anytime after 10 to see if your number was uh, drawn. And that's good for that day only. Uh, credit cards only, no cash. And one item per person. I mean, I get they've got to do all these things. And I, I'm i not picking on Bandai. I think yeah, they've yeah. actually got it well organized. This is yes. very clear instructions. I appreciate that. Much better than uh, the last time I tried to go do a, a, a exclusive and stuff through, uh, through them. Which, I mean, again, they're evolving the process year after year. It's just a matter of I'm far enough out from the convention center. What am, who am I kidding? Even if I were right at the convention center, I'm not getting down there at 7 a.m. to go stand in line to maybe possibly get into a drawing to maybe possibly go buy something. Yeah. It's just i too old for that. You know, I'll, I'll get the non-variant version of the thing when it comes out in stores and uh, be very happy with that. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's wondering, what, what item does John want? It's a Red Ranger uh, action figure there. 
doing a, a whole line of them that'll be in a matched set, size, scale, etc. Pretty good articulation. It looks actually the video I saw the other night uh, from somebody who already has the exclusive. Mm. Yes, Bruno, I'm talking about you. Bruno's not going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, MMPR Toys over on YouTube um, had a really good review of it. Did some some really cool stop motion with it and some other stuff. Very, uh, very well done. Um, he's hooked in with uh, Saban, Bandai, Shout Factory, because he's been doing a Power Rangers channel for, for ages. And a good one. A really mm. good one, actually. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, so I get why he got the exclusive early and didn't have to wake up at 10 a.m. to re- get a ticket. <laughs> wake up at 5 a.m. Wake up at 5 a.m. to stand in the line at t- 7 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that would be a fun thing to get. But like I said, I'll, I'll wait, buy it for half the price at a Toys R Us or uh, Target or Walmart when it gets there. So, trying to think if we pulled up uh, any particularly exciting booth or anything like that. There are a couple of toys that were fun to look at the displays or whatever of. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see anything on the hall floor that was incredibly shocking, surprising, or whatever. Didn't feel like there was a whole lot of cosplayers tonight. Not tonight. But it's preview night. I yeah. don't expect that. If you, somebody who's going to do that, they're going to do it for a full day kind of a deal. Definitely. And again, you get more of that on the weekend and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fairly crowded in some areas, fairly uncrowded in others. And again, it depends which part of the hall you're in. Mm-hmm. You're by the video games. You're by the uh, the movie stuff. It's packed. If you're by, I don't know, the comic section or some of that other stuff, it's not so busy. Yeah. But that's, again, nothing new. Well, I went through the WB line when it was you know, walk right through because they weren't giving out much. But I like to see what made it on to the TV guide covers each year. And I'm intrigued. I mean, I don't watch Supernatural, but I know it's been going on forever. Like 12 years, maybe? Yeah. Sam and I have talked about it a number of times in the rating stuff. Yeah. And it's a show that I've occasionally been curious about, but it goes definitely more into the paranormal Mm -hmm. than my viewing normally does. So I'm not surprised it got a cover. It seems to me there have been some years they did more than just four covers, like maybe five. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued Blindspot got one of the covers. I know it's been doing pretty well for them, but it's not classical Comic-Con uh, fodder where Flash and Supergirl, they got the other two are. So I'm kind of intrigued, you know, Arrow didn't get it, Legends of Tomorrow didn't get it. I can see not doing it for Legends of Tomorrow. But um, the fact that all the others are going to be CW shows moving forward because Supergirl just yeah. switched. Yeah. I don't know how much of it is just who... I don't know who picks it. Is it them? Yeah. Is it a combination of product placement? Just interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, last year they did a big blind spot promotion and stuff. Definitely. Well, and that's the other thing is uh, going to and from, we walked past the tin fish uh, from our, our uh, where we park our car down towards uh, 6th Street going in. 5th. 5th. Um. So we pass the Hard Rock, uh, the the Tin Fish and stuff, and they have all kinds of theme, things themed up. Yeah, Emerald City on Tin Fish uh, with timeless, timeless next to it. And a couple other shows, I think, also being promoted. Hard Rock seemed to have some stuff for Suicide Squad mm-hmm. uh, coming up. Um, and it's always just fun to see how they've themed up uh, the, the place. Yeah, what I didn't notice... And wasn't really looking for, but in past years, there's been a row of the uh, pedicabs in front of Timfish that have been themed out. There were a handful as we came out, but I don't recall any theming on them. That's not to say they didn't have any, mm-hmm. 
but it's not like some years because like one year i think they it was like a once upon a time thing and they were really themed out yeah so but it may also be that it's just they haven't gotten into full swing yet very true because it was pretty sedate getting past the trolley tracks and stuff there were no giveaways tonight at the yeah. trolley track that i was aware of it's one of those things that some days just getting through that area the hustle and bustle is pretty crazy yeah and there's there's almost no way to experience it other than to experience it yeah so all in all it was a fun night um mm-hmm. feet are tired mm-hmm. just not used to doing this much walking around um no doubt that will get much much worse over the weekend but it was a fun night and uh particularly enjoyed the the podcasting and stuff um I'm hoping to uh, hook up with uh, Eric and James from Cowabunga later in the weekend, see how they're doing and stuff. At some point, I'll have them on, do retailer spotlight with them or a round table or something. They're good guys. I like them. Very cool. So anything else for tonight? We good. I think that does it. Cool. It is about 10.25 p.m. on Thursday. We've just finished a full day of Comic-Con, so I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I'm exhausted. In a good way. Yes, it was a fun day. We uh, started with a quick breakfast here at the hotel. We drove over to the convention. Uh, We both planned on going to 10 a.m. panels, but it didn't quite happen. We hit a little more traffic than we thought, and really by the time we got to the convention center kind of on foot and stuff, it was already at least 10.15. 10.05. Well, we stopped uh, briefly at the Omni to check something. That's where the other 10 minutes went. That's probably it. Um, either way, it was clear, well, we still could have made the panels. It's like, yeah, they weren't, for me at least, weren't worth rushing to. Uh, so we decided to head over to the Marriott, uh, pick up the t-shirts we had pre-ordered. That was very smooth, very easy. Uh, once we got the correct direction as to which line to get in, we were almost directed out into the hot sun for the slow lane. Uh, for the non-pre-order so pre-order your shirt it definitely pays off we were actually in and out of there pretty quick and seamlessly yeah Uh, i was impressed with how smooth that went um after that we wandered back to the convention center and then um i headed off to a a panel that brian haberlin was doing on um just producing comics and he covered everything from okay you've got an idea to Let's get it written to let's get it drawn, uh, inked, etc. Uh, he does the digital art tutorials site. Mm-hmm. I'd seen some of his panels over at C2E2. He's always fun to watch. A lot of great ideas. I took a couple of pages of notes. Um, some of this, you know, I mean, we both took enough film courses to know not to break the 180 degree rule, which is where, you know, suddenly, you know, from shot to shot, you're jumping from in front of the screen to behind the screen, essentially. You know, it's funny you mention that because when we watched Con Man, there was one episode that started in a room we'd been in quite a bit in the previous episode, but they showed the room from such a different angle than Mm -hmm. we'd ever seen it before that I actually asked you, where are we? Well, and that was one where I think in one episode they shot from kind of one side of a vertical line and on the other episode it was from the other angle yeah so not literally breaking the 180 degree rule but very effectively doing it more understandable between episodes than between shots but still it looked like a completely different room to a degree yeah they they didn't uh orient me yeah, they didn't do an establishing shot to read. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and that's that's an interesting point so i took literally a couple of pages of of notes now when i say a couple of pages of notes i've got a little micro uh composition book here 
that uh, really only has about a dozen lines. I was going to say smaller than an index card. But, you know, over the years, one of the great things about San Diego Comic-Con and the reason they originally had that not-for-profit status is how much you can learn here. Yeah. Well, and what was fascinating was the guy who introduced the panel was very much, if you like, this is the how-to room. If you like this sort of a thing, let Comic-Con know, be explicit. Hey, this is the Haberlin panel, what you liked, what you didn't like, that kind of a thing. Otherwise, it this sort of thing's going to go away and you're just going to have nothing but, you know, trailers for the next Star Wars movie on an endless loop, which uh kind of funny, kind of kind of sad because it might be kind of true. So I did that. And then while I was in there, you texted me that uh, the panel you were in was easy to get into. Yeah. Um, well, you started that at 1115 and uh, I went, huh. I had fun at the front desk. I explained to them that the high-tech portion of my badge is working beautifully. The low-tech portion of my badge was not. They have all these stations for getting your RFID thing fixed. And here you were with a broken barcode that they couldn't, the, the, the yeah. exhibitors couldn't scan. Yeah, and just trying to explain to people, no, no, it's, it's the barcode that you would think nobody cares about that people are caring about. So that took just a few minutes to find someone who understood what I was saying. And for once, I thought I was speaking traditional, understandable English as opposed to my own form of the language. But once I found people who understood my complaint or my problem, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, they fixed it very quickly. And that was that was a relief in a way, because that's how you get the uh, advance reader copies of books and thing entered entered into contests. Well, I was going to say like at the uh, Eagle Moss booth where they've got all the little Star Trek uh, ships, mm-hmm. uh, they were able to enter me into the hey, you could win a full set. Yeah, but at first they could not enter enter you into the thing. Yeah, and when I went back today, they actually gave me a high five for not failing the scan. They were very proud of me for for fixing that. Well, um, you did fail it the first time, but the second time they actually got it working. So I'm not convinced your barcode's 100% fixed, but it's at least 50% fixed, which is an improvement. It is. I'm, I'm getting better. Um, but then I walked the floor for a little while with a friend and caught up with a friend, which again, one of my favorite parts of con is all the friends we get mm-hmm. to see here. Um, and then I told him, you know, I really want to see the uh, CBS Scorpion panel because I enjoy the show. Uh, and I didn't know it's Ballroom 20, which has a pretty good capacity. It's one of the bigger rooms, but because it's one of the bigger rooms, they put the bigger panels in there mm-hmm. so it can draw one of the bigger crowds. Yeah, and there have been times when I've lined up for you know an hour or two for Psych or other very popular shows, and I just didn't know with the crowd that comes to con, is this a crowd that will line up for Scorpion, or is Scorpion just not quite? You know? Yeah. So I said, well... If I go over and there's no line, I'll walk right in. If there's a line, I'm not sure if I'm feeling it. We walked over and the person holding the sign that says, this line continues outside, also happened to be holding the sign that said, by the way, I'm the end of the line. And I'm like, wow, from continues to to three inches away is end of line. I can walk those three inches. So I walked right in. And at that point, I got there a few minutes before the panel. Room was half full. I would say by the time I was there, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, 20 probably, uh, it didn't even feel half full. Yeah. So I think it was one of those. And again, it's a it's a gargantuan room. Mm-hmm. It's not Hall H, but it's it's like the next tier beneath that. So easily 1,000, 2,000 people at least, I would imagine I could go look it up at some point. 
You did miss an entertaining video that they had right at the top. Um, they gave uh, Robert Patrick, and I'll say his name wrong, but Elias Gable, just, you know, make a quick video to apologize to the fans, basically. You want to be okay. there, but you aren't. And they let, from my appearances, they let the two of them script themselves for the video. So it starts close on Robert Patrick, and he says, you know, Hey, everybody, I really want to apologize. I'm not there, but I'm being held hostage by this horribly demanding director and I just can't get away. And the camera pulls back and next to him is Elias with a bullhorn and he screams into his ear, no, no, that's not how I want you to do it. And he keeps giving him direction. Do it with an accent. Do it this way. Yeah. Do it that way. I want you bawling your eyes out as you deliver these lines. And it was it was very entertaining. Well, it's funny because by the time I got in there, they were doing the somebody. I don't know what, what question had prompted it, uh, but it was basically they were like trying to harmonize or something. Apparently, they're a very musical cast. Yeah, they're all very musically talented. And, you know, um, Ari Stidham sang in one of the episodes. Uh, Catherine McPhee, who was on American Idol, has sung in at least one of the episodes, maybe two of them. And somebody had asked, uh, and may have even been the moderator. I think it was the moderator. You know, we know you're a very musical cast. Uh, do you even sing kind of between scenes and stuff? And uh, I think it was Catherine McPhee who said, oh, yeah, there's a way to set it off. And she started singing a note, which got Ari singing a note. And they were trying to. And eventually, after a little prodding, got one or two of the others to. Mm-hmm. But the others were kind of going, why are we doing this on stage during a panel? This is something we normally do late at night when we're frustrated we're still filming. What was funnier, though, because by that point I was in the room and then it went a little further and it gets to where what they seem to do between things is just almost hum or babble a couple of tunes to themselves. And they all started doing that. And I'm like, this is going to be on YouTube like by now, by tonight. Yes, yes. And it, it just seems like they're literally incoherently babbling on a panel at Comic-Con. It's like, think about this, folks. You play geniuses. Yes. Yeah. It was funny. Well, and to that point, one of the questions, um, Jaden, who plays Happy, got some really interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And one of them that was directed to her was, as Happy, what is your favorite of all the things you've made on the show? And she said, I haven't made anything. I can't make anything. This is so not in my skill set. Yeah. You know, they tell me you need to do this. And I pull the guy over and I well, say. Well, they hand her a prop and she's like, what do I do with this? Yeah. They're like, oh, you do this, this, and that. And she's like, and then I mimic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very interesting with the basically, I don't even know the name a year later. Of what I mimicked putting together because I was in that moment. Well, yeah, it's something that literally it's here, take this, do this for the next half hour, hour, whatever, boom, you're done. Mm -hmm. And then forget because you've moved on to eight items later or something. Yeah. Uh, she gave, I thought, a really good answer, but it, it was, it seemed to me like they were new to doing Comic-Con style panels. Mm-hmm. Because afterwards, she had kind of that, is that an acceptable answer, kind of? Yes, yes. Well, and they were all extraordinarily respectful of 
this is Jaden's moment to lean into the mic and speak. So we are all going to lean away from our mics so we don't accidentally step on her moment speaking. Whereas like two panels later even, mm -hmm. when it was kind of a fan favorite actors from CBS who are all up there, you had two people from NCIS LA who in real life are brother-in-law, sister-in-law. Yeah, and there was and, definite interplay between them. Yeah. Whereas the Scorpion cast seemed like they all got along and were very cordial co-workers, mm -hmm. but not buddy-buddy. And that's a show that's gone two full seasons so far. Yeah. But I'm also curious how much of it is a matter of etiquette and protocol at this sort of a convention mm -hmm. versus a press junket or something like that. Yeah. Where they're expected to either, it's to, the question is either to you or shut up. Yes, exactly. And I, I just don't know that culture. Well, and that's what I was going to say, because at that fan favorites one, the actor on the far end from that brother-in-law, sister-in-law who... Uh, it was... Uh, Vil Wilmer uh, Valderrama? Yeah, he was in that 70s show and uh, Minority, Minority Report, Report, which is where we know him from. Yeah. He has just joined and not yet been seen on NCIS, which is the show that spun off NCIS LA mm -hmm. that the other two are on. And at one point, he made a comment about what he's getting to do in that new character. Yeah, he wants to blow stuff up, yeah. shoot things, and yeah. like, welcome to our world. Yes, and that's the kind of very friendly interplay and interaction that the Scorpion cast didn't have because they were very much respecting a this is whichever person's moment and I don't want to accidentally step on their time with their mic. Or they could just be method actors on Scorpion and they play social misfits. That could be. I'm kidding. No, I mean... It was a good panel. Both of oh, them were. Oh, definitely. But definitely. very different style mm -hmm. because uh, I felt with the Scorpion one, there were many opportunities for them to either rib each other or expound on somebody else's answer, and none of that happened. Yeah. And that's for, for people on the same show for two seasons. Yeah. Whereas with the uh, the one that had the, the, the many different shows on it, there were people from different shows bouncing back and forth. Yes. So it was a much more informal kind of a thing. Well, and it was even dramatically different from the final panel in that block, which was MacGyver. Yeah. They've only been filming together. Uh, they're really doing their first episode. I think they're the still moment. on their first episode. Yeah, they uh, they were saying that they got to Atlanta around the fourth of July, and George Eads, who was on CSI for fifteen seasons, and Lucas Till. Till, thank you. Um, they decided they were going to stay at a lake in a cabin, but all the cabins were sold out, so they rented a sailboat. Basically, they're going to work together a lot. They need to have some bonding, get to know each other. So basically, they got there early. They figured they'd hang out for a couple of days. Yeah. And they developed a chemistry between them off set because they knew that would enhance their chemistry on set. And they were doing the ribbing and the helping one another. Well, I'm pretty sure it was George's idea, the guy who'd been yeah. on a show for 15 seasons. Yeah. And it was... I, I found that panel very interesting because... I'm a big time fan of the original MacGyver series. One of the executive producers, Henry Winkler. Yes. Who had a profound influence of, of uh, MacGyver not using a gun, thinking on his feet, that kind of stuff. There was a mini series, I think it was Image, that produced it on MacGyver about two, three years ago, maybe, if that, maybe just two years ago. Anyways, 
but it was written by the creator of the series. Mm. The creator wrote the pilot, mm-hmm. which was originally going to be called like Hourglass or something, and try to do a real-time show a la 24, but in episodic things. Yeah. And the guy's like, this isn't going to work. You got, you know, you're like in LA, you're going to spend 20 minutes driving. That's half the episode, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, had the the letters page or the text page in those five issues about the history of how the show mm. became what it became. Fascinating. I'm sure. Um, so not having uh, Lee David Zitloff, the creator of the property, not having Henry Winkler there. It's like, okay, it's, I was hoping because i i know mm-hmm. they're at least tangentially involved i think but we had the i guess the showrunner and writer mm-hmm. uh uh we had the director at least of the pilot mm-hmm. and then we had the guy playing macgyver and we had the guy playing jack dalton mm-hmm. very different jack dalton yes. than we get from the original series yeah but they also started with kind of a let's get to know our family of characters yeah and there were a lot of familiar names. Sandrine Holt playing the Patricia Thornton character mm-hmm. versus Pete Thornton. Don't know if there'll be any connection between those characters. Don't know if this MacGyver is the son of the other MacGyver. Mm-hmm. But they talked about having uh, Richard Dean Anderson reaching out to him, seeing if they can get him on the show, uh, at least for an appearance or something. Um, but they they talked about how the original MacGyver was a lone wolf, whereas this one's going to have uh, an ensemble around him. And some of it is also just difference in storytelling and TV between then and now. Yeah. You know, we're going to have different types of of shots and editing because that's how stories are told these days. Yeah. I am curious if we're going to get the same sort of, well, I don't say random action adventure that the original MacGyver was, but there were some where he's just out in the wilderness, you know, saving, you know, a bird's nest or something like that. Yes, yes. Versus maybe we get that, maybe we don't on this, but... Interesting panel, but I loved the interplay between the two actors mm-hmm. and even between the actors and, and the, the two behind the scenes guys. Yeah. Um, they all seem to have a lot of fun. It seemed to be, uh, I don't say a relaxed, it certainly seemed like a set where they get stuff done. Yes, but to your how relaxed is it when uh, the guy who directed is directing, I should say, the pilot. James or, Wan, I believe. Yeah. Was saying that at one point he's looking over, going, "What is Lucas oh, yeah. doing?" Wait, that I I don't recall telling Lucas. To he's do like, that. "This isn't in the script." What is he doing? And George is telling him he's chasing Pokemon. No, Pokemon is not in the script. And this is like this is one of the differences. <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson never chased Pokemon. <laughs> yes, I loved that. James Wan seemed embarrassed to have confessed that and he kind of leaned over on Georgie's shoulder like how did I end up telling that story but it's it's clear that as a creative team both in front of and behind the camera they've gelled they seem to be having a good time this seems like a show that could really have the chemistry uh, and the necessary components to to really go for a good while yeah and I hope it gets that chance Mm mm-hmm because there is an aspect of the MacGyver character that has uh, permeated our culture. Yes. You could argue it was the precursor to the maker movement. Mm. Uh, the influence it had just on the Mythbusters, the MacGyverisms being kind of a term. Yeah. Um, if they can capture the heart and soul of that property. You know, one of James Wan's interesting uh, comments was somebody asking him basically, you know, what do you know about MacGyvering? 
And he said, have you looked at those low-budget independent films I made? He did low-budget indie films. It's like, that's all MacGyvering. Yeah. You're trying to do something with whatever resources you have at hand. Yeah. And it's like, that's a really good attitude to have. Yeah. And then the other guy, uh, I guess it was um, Peter something or other. The Linkoff? Linkoff, maybe. It was basically, you know, they're trying to do, pay homage to the original series. There are going to be a couple of Easter eggs in there and stuff. Uh, and uh, referencing original MacGyver bits or whatever. Um, but that these are things that are kind of doable. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few that shouldn't be done because they could be a little dangerous, whatever, in the wrong hands. But trying to, that, that that was one of the, not one of, it was almost the hallmark, but one of the many hallmarks of the show that they're very much wanting to keep in there. And, you know, he was talking about having, you know, I guess what the moderator referred to as a hack. Yes. But, you know, it's it's really two MacGyverisms kind of per act initially, yeah. get the rhythm, kind of establish the stuff. Yeah. The other thing, though, I really liked about the clip they showed later was we've got MacGyver basically stopping an airplane mm-hmm. in typical fashion. But as we get it, we get the voiceover mm-hmm. that establishes the fear of heights. And it's like, that's the other part that to me is quintessential MacGyver. Yeah. You know, he's telling you these stories almost years later or something. Yeah. And actually, if I were to bring in Richard Dean Anderson. You'd have him do the voiceover? No, I would basically have him at some point, whenever you introduce him or whatever, Mm -hmm. finish a story Mm -hmm. that's a classic MacGyver one Mm -hmm. with basically the voiceover was what it was him narrating the story to you. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of. I would have him either as the father or the uncle. Mm-hmm. You got to have a familial relationship there, but also have this MacGyver have have really have heard all of the stories. Yeah, you know, just like the original MacGyver had heard the stories from his grandfather. Yes, who later confessed they were all made up. But hey, yeah. a lot of them work. Yeah, exactly. So I I came out of it uh, liking Lucas Till as the character a lot more. Yeah, because I think as an actor, he just seemed really kind of a, a likable fun guy yeah it's like this this is a fun job for him yes he's really excited to do it as is uh the guy who's playing uh jack dalton and stuff they they commented just how early how easy it was to get up early just jump out of bed to go to do this job yeah and it's like that's cool yeah they're gonna have fun making it i think we'll have fun watching it i'm very much looking forward to that show that was a, a fun panel yeah I agree. See, I think after that, we walked the floor for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, finally got, I think you scanned the Eagle Moss booth at that point. Yeah. I wandered around for a little bit, trying just to do like the front part of the hall. I really haven't started kind of a, a methodical walking of the hall just yet. Yeah. Uh, I need to get started on that soon. I think that was the point at which I discovered Hoopla. Okay. It, it's a, uh, I may get it all wrong. It seems to be an app where you can use your library card and you can basically check out digital comic books. Interesting. It definitely looked like it was worth looking into. Yeah, yeah. Um, I made it all the way over towards Artist Alley, chatted with uh, Scott Benefell, mm. uh, artist uh, we know over there for a little bit, then headed up to the Comics Experience panel of the, what was it, the 10 Things You Can Do to Improve Your Art Game, Artist's Game. It's like, I'm not an artist, but I'm curious what advice they give them. Yes. And just, I'm trying to go to a couple of the how-to things. Mm-hmm. Um, they had 
10 points, good things. They had Todd Nock giving some thoughts, and, oh shoot, Riley, I forget who the other guy on the panel was. Uh, didn't have my glasses on, and they didn't put the name on the screen. Um, but it was nice. It was in a room that actually had some tables. Nice. Uh, with chairs behind them, classroom sort of a setting. Mm-hmm. So it was easier to take notes. Took a, a good page of notes there. Um, I didn't think anything was, was you know, oh my God, that's, you know, a brilliant sort of a thing. Because I've, I've read a lot of books on this. I've read a lot of comics, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was all good advice. Uh, comics Experience is a website where you can get, you know, kind of online classes on writing, lettering, inking, drawing, you know, the whole, whole kit and caboodle. Um, so I thought that, that was some good stuff. Then after that, I um, headed over. Actually, uh, we hooked up. You were meeting me outside the room at that point. We went downstairs towards Artist Alley and met up with um, Eric and James of Cowabunga Comics. Mm -hmm. And then I think you split off to go do the Luke Cage panel. Luke Cage panel while I chatted with them. How was the panel? It was interesting. Um, every time I felt like we were kind of getting on a roll with a question and answer with the cast, they showed another clip. <laughs> and I kind of get it, but I kind of like the getting on a roll with the question and answer. Yeah, I can see where you want to have clips, and that's a good go-to thing if, if it gets a little awkward. But if you've got them, you're going to want to show them. And if it doesn't get a little awkward, it gets awkward to use them almost. Yeah. So I can I can see where that was a little tricky. But that's one of the next Marvel um, Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. They've got um, Iron Fist coming. Mm-hmm. You were and saying another they... season of Daredevil. Yes. Uh, the Defenders are coming. Yeah. And then Punisher as well. I mean, they got plenty of stuff coming. Yeah, and the uh, actor who plays the Punisher, was there for a few minutes at the beginning. And, yeah. I mean, it was it was high energy, a lot of excitement. Uh, the clips they showed, I'm trying to think how to describe them. I mean, Luke Cage is the character you expect him to be from Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. And the actor playing him was saying, you know, you saw him from her point of view. You never really saw him on his own mm-hmm. or from his point of view. And mostly what you learned of him from there was he wasn't prying into her life because he had his own stuff he wanted to keep secret. Yeah. So he respected her privacy. And in this show... We learned some of that? Yeah, we go into his life. Marvel's been doing some great stuff with their Netflix shows. I want to see kind of how long they can keep that rolling. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think there's anything stopping them at this point. They're doing what I consider to be kind of book-style stories. Each episode is got a beginning, middle, and end, but it's it's meant for binge-watching. You know, um, I wish I could come up with the name Cheo. He was in charge of all the scripts and was, I guess, showrunner. He made a fascinating comment. Uh, he's definitely into music. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, back in the 90s, before streaming of and getting any song as a single, when it was either certain songs were a single or you got the album. Right. You got the album and then especially pre-CDs, you listened to the entire album. Mm-hmm. And he felt that binge watching of TV shows is like that old album experience. I, I think that's a good way to put it because I would equate the Marvel movies in that respect to the hit songs. Mm-hmm. Whereas these are kind of bands in the same genre, if you will, 
again, and here's their album. Because I think the Jessica Jones character worked well in that longer format than if they tried to do a two-hour movie or something. Well, someone recently commented to you, though, that these 10 to 13-hour things are too long to casually binge watch with someone you don't live with. Well, um, and was that Sam? Sam, but also I think TJ was commenting when we had dinner with him on how I think he had a friend that kind of was either no I guess it was Sam who was saying he had one that drifted out after a bit that they thought it could be tightened up a little. Well, and part of it is if something is only six hours, yeah, or even eight hours. But when it's like twelve, yeah. But to me, it's it's nice having the time to really kind of get in there and tell a good story. I do think that they could tighten it up and get it closer to that 8 to 10 hours. Uh, because it, it's, if you're marathoning it all in a, a single day, that's a get up early and stay up a little late kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. So I think they could, could get it to a more comfortable single day viewing experience. Um, because like with the second season of Daredevil, you had Elektra and you had Punisher. And maybe just do one. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica Jones, that, you know, you had the Purple Man and you had Luke Cage, you know. Not as enemies necessarily, yeah. but th- more things going on. There was a subplot or two in each one you could have maybe pulled out. I just thought it was an interesting perspective because, I mean, we don't live together. And he's right about the, I have to set aside, both the time for viewing and the time for getting to the viewing. Yeah. And it's not usually a one-day experience. No, when we've done it, we've usually done a uh, kind of a long Friday evening followed by, for you, a very early Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have time to finish it off the next day. Yeah. But again, I think it's meant for that kind of a binge watching. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the showrunner was saying that because he likens it to an album, he gave every one of the episodes in Luke Cage uh, the title of a song he mm. likes. Interesting. And the, some of the actors were pointing out that because there was so much of a music vibe to a lot of things that even when it was just a script on paper, it was like the show has soundtrack as you were reading it. Well, it's funny because I think the Luke Cage character almost lends itself to that. Uh, in my mind, I'm leaning towards more of a jazz sort of a sound, but I think there is a sound to that mm-hmm. character almost uh, in many different ones you could you could apply to it. You know, 70s disco comes to mind too. Uh, based on some of the when the character was kind of uh, popularized um but they're doing a lot of like i said a lot of good stuff with that uh, sequence of shows i want to see him keep going i think there are a lot of other characters they could pull in that would be fun i'd also like to at some point and not not necessarily as part of either any of the particular shows they're doing but somehow more firmly root them into the greater uh, marvel cinematic universe Mm. Mm-hmm. Something more than just a headline and a commenter. When um, Alfrey Woodard is in it, uh, she was in Last Ship mm-hmm. in, in charge of Baltimore, as I recall. She was also in um, Star Trek First Contact with the Borg. Oh, I'd have to look. Um, Anyways. Yeah, but uh, they had commented when uh, Mike Coulter came out, you know, he's number one on the call sheet because each of the actors has a number. Well, at one point when they asked her, you know, what drew you to this? She said, 
first of all, it was one of the best written scripts she'd seen in a long time. Just great depth of character, etc. She said, but I think most of the actors would agree that there should be another number on the call sheet, Harlem. Mm. And she said, the city itself has character and feels like a character. Well, and that is one of the fun things about some of those Marvel characters. There's a whole deep rooted in New York about them, but you've got Hell's Kitchen, you've got Daredevil, you've got Harlem, you've got uh, Power Man or, or, or Luke Cage. Um, you've got kind of in the village, you've got Doctor Strange, you've got different parts of town for different characters. Mm-hmm. I think Peter Parker's was Queens. I could be wrong on that. Um, but also not just all oh, the New Yorkers as if that's one thing. Because, of yeah. course, these were being written by New Yorkers and they knew it wasn't one thing. Yeah. Uh, back in the day with the comics. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, set aside time for those new seasons and, and shows when they come out. Yeah, Luke Cage will be September 30. So it may take us a little bit after that before we have a chance to kind of mm-hmm. marathon it and do an episode of that is That is on the schedule. One of the things I saw walking around the building was little kiosky things i guess i should call them i saw them setting some of those up the other day for fuel rod and basically these are little rechargeable battery type things that 20 bucks get you one and then you can swap them for free yeah i mean they are rechargeable just like any normal external battery but the nice thing about them is the swappability at these stations so you get one of these outside of the con. You can use it as a rechargeable battery on your own. Plug it in, juice it up. But at a convention like this where you may be draining your cell phone and every other device you've got dry, mm-hmm. you can go to one of their kiosks and just swap it out for one. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. One of the things I noticed at the Transformer booth, I think it was part of the Star Wars area, mm-hmm. but in that neck of the woods, it was in the front of the hall along uh d or e uh the they had the energem charging station Hmm. those the energem or whatever is what's powering the transport people Mm -hmm. were sitting there plugging in their phones interesting and they had basically connectors of all makes and models you got an ipod you got this you got that you can just go over there and charge it up nice um so because it's easy for your your cell phone no matter how good it is to just as it's fighting for a cell phone signal or Wi-Fi or, you know, whatever, yeah. you're using it, your device is a lot more than usual. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I thought the the fuel rod thing was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so after you finished with that panel, I think you uh, met uh, James, Eric, and I under the sails. Mm-hmm. I'd been chatting with them for a bit. Always a, a fun thing to do. Uh, we weren't done talking, so we decided to go have dinner, which uh, was good. I think we were all hungry. Yeah. Uh, we ended up at uh, BJ's Brew House mm-hmm. and uh, continued uh, chatting for, for quite some time as we had a very fun dinner. I, I like those guys over at Cowabunga. Um, met them for the first time at C2E2. Uh, they'd been on the forum. Uh, they'd asked a couple of questions uh, through email when they were first setting up their, their podcast, which is one that after I had heard them do a clip on Drew's show, Comics for Fun and Profit, I'm like, man, these guys are naturals. They've got a good rhythm back and forth. They yeah. they got good voices. Yeah. They got things to say. Yeah, it was fascinating listening to the three of you talk. Um, so yeah, I was I was very happy to help them with the answer a couple of minor questions here and there, get them on their way to get the cowcast started, 
which is a, again another podcast like Drew's that I do recommend. Um, and they've already done a crossover between the two. At some point, uh, I talked to James and Eric. We're going to get them on doing something on a comic book page. Now, they're great guys, fun to talk with, good vantage point on the industry. Getting the retailer side of some stuff is always fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just talking comics. Yeah. You know, there are certain things that uh, between the three of us, we had different reading experiences to, to what some of us had read, what some of us hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because it was Eric who made the comment to James. And James was, oh, you've got to read this. Is that if, if, if he wanted to read everything James was putting on his list, he'd have to quit his job. Yes. As if that's such a bad thing. <laughs> right. If you guys could make a living with off enjoying, you know what I mean? Just, just reading the stuff and, and talking yeah. about it. I would love to do that. And again, these are guys that uh, have a, a deep love of, mm. of comics. I mean, they've gone and bought a store and done great things with it. I loved listening to them talk both about their store and their perspective on other stores they've been into and seen and how just they the, respond to it. Their general attitude about retailing mm-hmm. is... is I guess the best way I could phrase it is really on the up and up. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not out to gouge their customers. They're they're, they're going to make uh, a, a reasonable profit. Mm-hmm. You know, if something has gone up in value, uh, they may raise the price a little. But they're not going to like go slap a huge price tag on the the hot book the day it's released or anything remotely like that. Yeah. Now they get an Avengers number one in their store. They're going to sell it for what it's worth, as yeah. they should. Yeah. And apparently they've gotten like two copies of Avengers number one. I mean they're they're on top of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I really respect, uh, again, their love of the, the comics, their attitude about retailing. Um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with them tonight, uh, having dinner with them. They're just, they're good guys. We need more retailers like them because I think they've taken what was a, uh, maybe a so-so store from, from what I've heard and really turned it around and kind of galvanized and re-energized that uh, fan base of comics out there and are growing it. Mm-hmm. That's a win for everybody. It is, definitely. Well, for them, the industry, for the people they've gotten re-excited about comics. There's plenty of great material out there. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. So we did that, uh, and the BJ's was a little further afield because, of course, we had the car. It's like, hey, yeah, we can go somewhere not slammed by, by uh, Comic-Con. Uh, so we did that, uh, dropped them at their place, and then headed back here to uh, to start recording. So it was a fun day, a uh, mm-hmm. fair amount of walking around. Um, I'm afraid to ask my almighty phone, which someone persuaded me to put a step counter on. Yeah, we uh, we picked up Pebble Times recently so it can count our steps. And I looked at dinner, and I was well over the, uh, the 10,000 step mark. Well, I... <laughs> One of our friends is a doctor and convinced me to put on a dueling program. So I now have oh. two step counters going. After we record, let me know what that is. I'll put that on mine. I'm I'm curious. <laughs> no, because it's it. I I don't I do not normally do this much walking. I expected you to say whichever step counter is higher, you're gonna believe that one. For me, yes. For you, no. <laughs> you you get the lower one. Oh, I see. Okay. No, it's, uh, I've got a desk job at work. I sit at a desk and, and compute. Um, so this is a bit of a workout for me, which is part of why I went to a couple of panels today and stuff like that. Just 
easing myself into the con. At some point, I, like I said, I've still got to... Because we've done a fair amount of random wandering around the, the, the hall. Yeah. But I need to get... Because uh, I, I always make a point of going aisle by aisle, booth by booth, uh, just seeing what there is to see and, mm. and going with that. And I probably should do a lot of that tomorrow. Yeah, probably. But I still need to see what the panel schedule looks like for tomorrow because I haven't done that yet. Maybe we should finish busy recording. Couple of days. We should probably finish recording and do that. Yeah. And at some point, we're going to be breaking this into multiple episodes. I don't know if we've rambled on long enough between our pre-con, our preview night or not in this to, to break here or not. But either in a few seconds after the, the bumper, you'll be finding out what we did on Friday or stay tuned. <laughs> And on Friday, you'll find out we did on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It really just depends how I edit this, which I'll probably do in about a, a week once we get home and I recover from con. Very true. So before recovering from con, I think we need to inflict more of it on ourselves. So I think we'll pause here uh, and go do another day of, of insane walking and uh, enjoying making. of Comic-Con and then uh, talk some more about this. That Sound works. good? Yes. It is 8.25 on uh, Friday? Friday. Friday, I believe. Definitely and the 22nd. The whole meaning of time changes at Comic-Con, I think. Uh, this was another morning where we got up, we had breakfast, we headed over. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and got to the convention center right around a little after 10-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, um, we took a few minutes to really... Take advantage of the view from the parking deck. See what was going on around the parking garage. Uh, look down at the way NBC has taken over 10 fish. Look mm-hmm. at what was going on at the Hard Rock Hotel. Look at what was going on at Petco Park. I don't want to say get an aerial view because we couldn't really do that. But just appreciate the way Comic-Con is really expanding out of the building. Well, and particularly at the Hard Rock, uh, we were watching them, I guess, load people into some of the vans, presumably to take them a couple of blocks to the convention center. I saw a kind of a behind-the-scenes thing that some of the S.H.I.E.L.D. actors, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actors, had done. And uh, Chloe Bennett summed up coming to San Diego Comic-Con as you sit in traffic. And I thought, you know, it's funny, if you ask the average attendee, they would say, you walk your legs off. Yeah. And just what different perspective those who are exhibitors have from those who are attendees have from those who are on panels and are quite literally being shuttled from point A to point B. Well, I saw something on, maybe it was the Tested YouTube channel, about Adam Savage, who usually comes to Comic-Con usually wears uh, something that conceals him head to toe, because, well, he's Adam Savage of Mythbusters. Um, And that year he was like an astronaut or something. Usually has pretty cool costumes. But he'll walk the floor for a little bit till he gets recognized, and then it gets to it. It's like, okay, that's it. Um, But when he was getting back to his hotel, I'm pretty sure he was on, like, the back of a golf cart or something. Mm -hmm. And there are golf carts that you can get to take you, well, if you're a panelist, it's a... From the Hilton Bayfront where they'll do press rooms over to the convention center. And the first year the last ship had a panel. Somebody was asking Eric Dane, uh, who plays Captain Chandler, how his experience at Con was. And he said, what I've learned is when you come to an event this big for the first time, 
you come with someone like Adam Baldwin from Firefly. Mm, who's been there and done that. Exactly. And not just been there and done that on a small scale, but on a Firefly type yeah. scale. And well, Firefly on... and Serenity when they were filming it. Yeah. Exactly. And he said, because we're stepping out of the press room and seeing this sea of humanity mm-hmm. and going, okay, how are we going to navigate this? And Adam goes, don't worry. I got us covered. And within minutes, a golf cart arrives and we're just whizzing by. And he said, we're suddenly like rock stars waving to people. And he said, it was this awesome, wonderful experience. But I don't feel I would have had the same experience had I not had someone at my side who's been here and done this. There's a lot to be said for going to something like Comic-Con, whether it's literally Comic-Con or or some other similar venue with somebody who's been there and done that and has an idea of the lay of the land, just so you don't waste time getting lost or something in in somebody who knows the system. Yeah. You know, it's it's just more fun that way. Um, When we've gone to C2E2 and Toronto, our friends The Chance had given us a really quick, you know, thumbnail sketch or whatever of what to expect, what's in which building, and just kind of... uh, a, a context with which to absorb the show in. Yeah. And my first year, it's like I got lost getting to one or two rooms or whatever at C2E2. Um, but then once, you, once you've once you got the rhythm of the show and understand the floor plan. I mean, for me, I am a, a big proponent of download the floor plan, understand both the exhibit hall and the venue itself. Well, today I got lost on the exhibit hall floor. And the sad thing is... I walked up to the booth I wanted. I stared at the booth I wanted. I recognized it was affiliated with the booth I wanted. Mm-hmm. I did not realize it was the booth I wanted. Mm-hmm. I walked by it. I went about three aisles over and I saw one of the very nice men in a suit who is clearly security mm-hmm. and clearly has to know where the crowded popular booths are. And I thought, you know, if somebody knows the exhibit hall floor, I bet it's him. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know you probably don't hear this statement very often in your daily life, but I've misplaced the Cartoon Network. Yes. And I'm mature enough to admit it. A friend of mine has sent me on a mission to find it, and I'm feeling a little foolish that I can't. (laughs) Could you help me out? It's one of those things that you literally could be 50 feet from it and not see it. There's so much going on, and there are many two- or three-story tall sort of constructs in here. Well... I really had walked directly to the booth. Mm -hmm. It's the one with the Powerpuff Girl uh, balloons floating over it. Yes. And that's the thing. It had those balloons. It was very clearly marked. uh, Use the Powerpuff Me app and get for $10 a shirt or a tote bag of you Powerpuffed on it. But nowhere did it say sponsored by, provided by anything Cartoon Network. There are a surprising number of booths where it is not blatantly obvious what booth it is. I thought it was some app company or computer company. I didn't realize it was the TV network. And you know what? He sent me back there and he said, if anybody knows, it's people with the balloons above it. Yep. And I went there and they said, walk two feet to my left and you'll get exactly what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I walked right here. A lot to be said for asking questions when you need to. Yes. And finding the right person to ask. Yes. That makes a big difference. Um, My day was shorter in some respects. So let's start with my day. 
How, would, w- how was your day? Well, I started a panel mm-hmm. that was very good. I uh, Usually Bones ha- in the past has been what I rec- would refer to as a sold out panel. You wait in line for two hours and maybe get in. Yeah. Uh, this year I walked right in. I've noticed from most panels I've gone to, um, there there haven't been many lines. Only one that I have to stand in a line. I'll get to that when we talk about my day. Um, but I walked right in to the Bones panel, and I'd say I think they had. If you don't count the interns, because they rotate uh, one in four episodes, give or take, they had the entire cast, and this is their final season coming up, which is part of why I tried for it again. Mm-hmm. It was a fun panel. They get along well. They joke around. And uh, two of the actors on one end were really having a problem hearing because of the acoustics of the system. What the showrunners on the far end were saying. And instead of complaining about it or making a negative big deal about it, they were very actively joking about it. And so it was, you know, when somebody asked the showrunners, you know, what would you like to have those two characters go undercover as? And they gave their answer. One of the actors leans forward and he's like, I heard lumberjacks. And I don't know what they said, but I heard lumberjacks. And now that I've heard that, this is how I see the episode going. Right. And it was hilarious. And just, it was so much fun in that panel. I'm really glad I went. Good. And then the rest of my day was pretty much spent on the hall floor. I started by walking part of the hall floor. I have pretty much done Artist Alley. Uh, Did a lot of that, I think, yesterday. Today, I started kind of on the edge of Artist Alley and Hall G and kind of worked my way towards, uh, I guess, west. That's the crush zone. Uh, Starting in Hall G? Oh, absolutely. It's just a mass of humanity. Um... I'm, I'm debating whether I want to say, it's not fair to say it's the popular booths. That's the wrong phrasing. Well, no, it's uh, a lot of the Japanese uh, products. Then you get into, a little later, the uh, the media stuff. Some of it's the uh, cosplaying uh, paraphernalia, mm-hmm. um, the steampunk watches and items like that. And they are, they're right up against Nickelodeon, and you're moving in towards the major companies. Yeah. Lionsgate, BBC America, uh, the people at Fox, the people who bring in the stars. And at one point, I went by Nickelodeon, so tempted to text you. I'm like, man, the entire Power Rangers team is posing for photos with people. But what time do you think that was? Not a clue. Okay. Um, I made it maybe 10 aisles before I hit a just a, a wall of humanity for... I don't know if it was AMC and The Walking Dead or what, but it's like, well, I guess I'm going to a different part of the hall. So by that point, I just kind of uh, buzzed by the the Nickelodeon, Konami, Hasbro stuff and and uh, the Star Wars, you know, arena, pavilion, empire, whatever you want to call it. Star Wars has this wall on all four sides mm-hmm. that looks they like... They have a fortress this year. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's made out of these 18-inch uh, tall rectangular stones. And it's huge. It's like a Jedi temple or something, I guess. Y- yeah. But I went to what was basically the old part of the convention center. I like that part, the way it's set up this year. Yeah. 
Um, and it's got kind of four major blocks of booths going from the road to the water. And what I usually do is just do one block at a time from, from hall uh, C to A, and then zip back and forth kind of a thing. And the reason I do that is it's just easier to, to make sure you hit all the end caps that way. And that final fourth block closest to the water, when you get to the small press and stuff like that, it just doesn't line up. Well, and they've got some interesting, I'm going to call it zoning going on in terms of like you're saying, they've got the small press mm-hmm. on the water side. Uh, they've got diamond on the mm-hmm. street side. Uh, A lot of the major publishers kind of in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did notice that the book publishers are divided where some are at 1500 and some are over at 1000 I found today. Yeah, I think they've kind of split the books and moved them around a little differently this year than in mm-hmm. past years. Yeah. Um, had a, a technical thing that kind of bummed me out for a little bit. Uh, one of my toys ran out of, of storage space. So had to uh, had to figure out <coughs> excuse me, um, had to figure out what to do on that. And basically I was able to uh, swap um, memory things from one device to another to, to kind of get me through the day. but uh, that was that was just frustrating for a little bit. Um, but I wound up uh, around that time heading off to the one panel I did, which was the uh, boom Power Rangers panel. That's right. And what I found interesting with that is that was the longest line I've stood in so far. It was in Hall 5AB. Okay. And the line stretched back to uh, to Room 1. See, I will admit that this year I'm avoiding any line that goes outdoors, which is why I've not made it to any panels in any of the six rooms. This didn't go outdoors, but it filled the room. That's good. It was excellent. I mean, yeah. there were very, very few empty seats. Um, and it was uh, Yoshi. I forget his last name. He's the blue dino charge ranger. Got it. Uh, moderating. Then it had a couple of people from Saban, a couple of people from Boom, including the writer of the current series. Mm. And they had a slideshow kind of going throughout of just the different covers and some stuff like that. Actually, they had both writers, the one who's doing the lead story and the one who's doing the Bulk and Skull stuff in the back. Got it. Um, they, I mean, I thought Yoshi did a great job moderating. Um, so he's the first Power Ranger to go, I believe, from being a suit actor to Power Ranger. Got it. I don't know if he was doing the suit stuff like here at Con or on the show, but he, he'd been doing it for like, I don't know, Better part of a decade, I think. So quite some time. He's got the moves down. Mm-hmm. Um, but had, and then tried out and made it to to be the Blue Ranger for uh, Dino Charge and then uh, uh, Dino Supercharge, which is the one currently airing. Um, he's also, I believe, the first Ranger to actually appear on a Super Sentai show. I mean, for all of like thirty seconds, but that's thirty seconds more than others. So yep. I've said before, and we'll say again. Uh, and the first one to moderate a panel on the comic for Power Rangers. That's very cool. So really a renaissance ranger, however you look at it. Uh, had a lot of good questions. Um, it became a little clear later that he may not have written the questions. Because mm-hmm. there were one or two, like about the annual, he sort of tripped over. And maybe he wrote it and just tripped over the reading. Yeah. But he was a very entertaining moderator. Uh, things moved along good. Everybody was having a good time, both in the crowd and on the stage. Um, and he was occasionally teasing, you know, who's your favorite? Oh, you know, the Blue Ranger. Oh, I, I approve. You know, kind of. Mm-hmm. No bias here. Because Blue Ranger. You know, in the uh, Bones panel, 
one of the things that <laughs> just by fluke happened was the actors on stage happened to call out are any of the actors who aren't in every single episode in the audience because they thought mm -hmm. at least two might be and one of them was and he came up to the mic where people ask questions and he's like look i i don't mean to take away from when the fans are asking mm -hmm. questions you know you clearly are here because you have a question which question well her question happened to be which of the interns do you wish had gone to a full-time job? And he's like, uh, I'm right here. Yeah. And it was just one of those incredibly funny moments of nobody could have timed it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes these panels just have that magic synergy. Well, it was funny because one of the questions Yoshi asked uh, one of the guys who's who I think is on the Saban I guess he's on the boom licensing side. I was a little, I, I forget which party he was on. He was the, the guy on the farthest right. Not that that helps anyone who wasn't at the panel. But when the guy was asked, you know, why was boom the right choice? He's like, well, it was already gone by the time I got here kind of a thing. But the question he asked that I thought was re really interesting is it's one Yoshi's been asked a lot of, you know, being a longtime Power Ranger fan. What's it like working with mm. the Power Rangers? Yes. So having him pose that to somebody else was kind of fun. And the guy's like, it's just surreal. And it just seemed like the partnership between Boom and Saban has really been mutually beneficial, mutually enjoyable for both parties. Um, and with the main title, they're obviously they've got certain things with the brand that, you know, some rails around it, whatever. What was interesting was when they mentioned the annual mm -hmm. out of continuity and just kind of we loosen the reins, mm. you know, and they've got some some interesting stories to tell that are out of continuity and just different takes on the stuff. And I applaud Saban for letting some some other comic creators, you know, that are, are known for be it Shu or Strangers in Paradise or whatever, to come and play in this space mm -hmm. and and not be beholden necessarily to all the continuity constraints. Yeah. So there was the question of, well, it's a big franchise. Are you going to do other stuff? Mm -hmm. Definitely everybody seemed to be interested in that. But then the writer made a really good point of how Power Rangers is a, a franchise that's been around, what, 23 years or something on TV. Yeah. But this is really the first serious go mm -hmm. in comics. Yeah. I mean, there was a run back by Marvel t over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was more of a kid's comic, that kind of a thing, versus uh, the writer, I think it's Kyle Higgins, um, phrased it as he's writing... Not the Power Rangers he remembers, but the Power Rangers he as he remembers them making him. No, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe it was a little wacky here or whatever, but you know, you felt very it was very dramatic as a kid and all this stuff. So let's let's be evocative of that. Yeah, you know, stay true to the material, but but tweak it a little here and there for the modern sensibility and uh, a broader age range. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, everybody got a toy. Nice. And they were handing out the uh, the Dino Charger power packs. I got a uh, blue one, uh, which is actually Yoshi's. Nice. Not literally Yoshi's, but for his ranger. Nice. I, I think if I'd gone up and just grabbed his, he'd have been upset. He might have fought me for it and probably won. Oh, probably. But I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and they literally were going down the aisle. They had bo boxes of these things. That was very cool. And it was funny because during the rest of the panel, I was off on the edge and I was watching them very quietly tear down the boxes so they can mm. get those boxes out of there. 
That's very cool. Because, I mean, these things you get maybe two dozen a, a big box or whatever. Mm. And they were going through a box every other aisle on my side of the room. Yeah. Easily, but if not faster. Uh, and then when we left, um, because they were they were talking about the three branches of the franchise. The comics, the TV, comics obviously represented by the writers, TV obviously represented a bit by uh, Yoshi, but then also the movie. Kind of nice. the elephant in the room, if you will. Yeah. And we all got a, uh, a Power Rangers uh, lightning bolt pin. Um, and it's a very more almost Zeus-like lightning bolt than Power Rangers-style lightning bolt uh, for the new show. And they're like, it's its own thing. Yeah. You know, we're not going to try to meld it into the continuity. It's just here's a new take on what that property would have been like. So I thought that was a lot of fun. It was a really good panel. Again, very well attended. When they went to questions, very long line. Everybody who asked a question got a toy. And I don't mean just another one of yeah, these. Yeah. yeah. I mean like a, a probably $60, $70 toy at least. That's very cool. You know, one of the, the Legacy Megazords. One of them got the uh, the Red Ranger exclusive figure. So that was about $40 value, whatever. But stuff that's just not easy to come by and that's not very, cheap to come by. That's very cool. And they were very clear. You know, you're supporting us. We're supporting you. Yeah. You know, nice. so I I thought they did a really good job with that. Very pleased, a lot of fun, and again, I was blown away how well attended it was. Very cool. Um, so I think there are a lot of, of fans for this stuff out there. Um, they're hungry for more of it, and I'm hoping they'll get more of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they clearly want to do other parts of the franchise, but they also want to build it up and kind of get to where they've they've earned that right on the comic realm, mm-hmm. which I respect. And then, really, the rest of my day was spent walking the floor. I went uh, back down, again, finished that front aisle, uh, then hung with you for a little bit, then went back and did the second, third, and fourth kind of blocks of stuff. Um, and I think for the, the last block, I've still got Hall C to do. I think I ended at the lounge right around the boom area. Mm. It was just my feet were killing me at that point. I know that feeling. Uh, this this hall is the span, is the square footage of roughly 10 football fields. And over the course of the day, I didn't go every inch of it, but I certainly walked back and forth a number of times and um, uh, really just covered the ground. I spent a lot of time in the uh, hall that the book publishers are in. Mm-hmm. Got some autographed books, got some uh, review copies, some of the galleys. One of the things, though, uh, you did at one point after, I think, going through the books was text me that the Eagle Moss thing was a scan every day. Yes, I did. Now, you'd had problems scanning yesterday and gotten that squared away. Um, Wednesday. Wednesday. So you got it squared away for yesterday. I want to thank the guys at Eagle Moss. First of all, when I wasn't sure if my badge was working, they were really good sports about it. They mm-hmm. didn't make me feel like an idiot, which I did feel like before they were good sports about it. They were very patient, even though I'm sure they wanted to be scanning lots of people. Every person who works in that booth took a try with the scanner. To see if it was them, not me, not my badge. Well, it was funny because I had no problem that time getting scanned. Today. You made me look like an... No, I'm kidding. Today, I had problems getting... They could not scan my badge. When they were able to scan me yesterday, they recognized me and they gave me a high five. When they saw me walking by today, and this is what prompted you getting a text message, they reached out, they tagged me on the shoulder and they said, it's a daily thing. Let us scan you. They scanned me, and they gave me a high five. So I told them I heard it was a daily thing. I came to be scanned. I had to pull the 
the barcode up just a little so it was clear in the badge holder. Didn't work. Didn't work. Didn't finally were taking it out. They're doing the... Finally, the guy's like, you know what? I think I can search for your name. Nice. So he spent a few, good few minutes trying to figure out how to get this little game controller-sized device with two buttons to to search for my name. I'm like, that's impressive. It took him a little bit. He was great sport about it and, and happy to do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're really cool guys there. They are. They're very and, nice. I mean, between their DC figures, their Starship, uh, Star Trek Starships, the Doctor Who stuff. I mean, the licenses they've got. They've done um, DC Marvel figures and booklets and stuff for ages. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things are cool. I'd love to have all of them. But I mean, at 10, 12 bucks a shot, I got to I gotta draw my lines somewhere. And enter their contest. And enter their contest. So, yeah, that was that was well worth going back for. Um, I'm trying to think what else I noticed during the haul. I was talking to uh, some of our friends over in the small press area, and they were asking if I thought it was kind of a quieter year. And I would have to say, yeah. Um, People aren't going crazy for anything that I'm seeing. Nobody's telling me, oh, you got to go by this booth or, oh, this is amazing. Uh, we went through the ABC booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, one of the last things we did was the designated survivor one. Yes. Yeah. They've got a two and a half story tall White House built. I kind of like that aspect. I'm curious what they do upstairs. I am too. I think that's where they've got their own little private office. Maybe the CIA, FBI, I don't know. but uh, Yeah. Um, I thought the, the build and oval office inside was an interesting... Uh, yeah. I mean, the room they put you in fits... I mean, it's maybe a 20 by 20, 20 by 30 room, maybe mm-hmm. 30 by 30 max, probably 20 by 30. Anyways, it's not that big, mm-hmm. but it's got two screens and they get about 15, 16 people in there to, to watch the trailer. Mm-hmm. They have the president's desk. They have, from what people were saying, they have maybe five inches behind it for you to squeeze into a chair. What I found fascinating is they had us put on headphones to hear the audio. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. That I thought was very respectful of their neighbors. Yeah. Because a lot of these things, they just blare the music and you can hear it outside. Mm -hmm. But it means when you're outside the White House, you hear nothing. Yeah. So I was, uh, again, thought that was very courteous and a smart move. I hadn't done any investigating into what is this show. I'd seen the banner. Is on Petco? Yeah, it's on Petco. I hadn't even heard about it until we saw the banner. Neither had I. So I went in there with absolutely no idea. What are we going to see? And with that statement in mind, it wasn't what I expected. Um, I expected... From what Erica had told us, it was what I had expected. I hadn't talked to Erica about it. Okay, she must have been out at your shot when we were walking the other day. Yeah. She had told me it was essentially government kind of collapses, gets replaced, a la Battlestar Galactica, but just on Earth. Um, I was expecting lots of people to die, and some random person is just, okay, you're the smartest survivor. We designate Mm. you as our new president. That kind of designation. So this whole concept of deciding this one person, this one day of the year. Well, during the State of the Union, when every other member of Congress, uh, House of Representatives, the Senate, the whole, you know, the cabinet's there, the president, vice president, speaker of the house, everybody. Is gathered and on display. In the chain of command. One member of the cabinet is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And he's the designated survivor. Mm -hmm. 
And in this case, it's like, well, I guess he's called up to duty. Yeah. And we the trailer was only a few minutes long. Yeah. But it was enough to make me think, yeah, I should check this out. Yeah. And it's interesting you use the word trailer because to me, it felt like we watched the first few minutes of the first episode. I would agree with that. Um, we may get a few scenes before it. I don't know if they would necessarily start with that, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Mm-hmm. I would expect a few minutes of kind of preamble during the opening credits as they get him into the the. the 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 safe house kind of a thing but if it turns out to be literally the first few minutes i wouldn't be the least bit surprised yeah it was good don't get me wrong it it definitely got me thinking yeah i gotta watch this um i liked it better than i liked the not so funny trailer for neighbors which was an okay show that they did two or more years ago for abc i still think pan am was abc booth's best ever the Pan Am booth, and we talked about it in past uh, con uh, episodes, they took two booths, uh, so 10 by 20 area, had a ticketing counter and just a, a chunk of a cabin of an airplane. And they had girls dressed up doing the whole Pan Am uh, stewardess uh, flight attendant shtick down perfect. Yeah. The way they would march into the whole floor was a, you know, oh, look at that. You know, the way they would, oh, you know, your your flights at this time come back at this point. So they didn't have a standing line. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, here's your luggage at the baggage claim. Yeah. It was the slickest marketing booth I think I have ever seen at Con. Mm-hmm. And I would be hard pressed to uh, to know what I think would qualify to, to what, what it would take to surpass that. Yeah. And we've seen cool things before. Exactly. exactly. The helicarrier. The Marvel booth was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Stargate at the MGM booth a year or two. And they had uh, two of the Jaffa yeah. standing guard on either side of it. That was cool. So, I mean, they've had a lot of fun things at Con, But in terms of... That was an experience. It was themed and you entered their world. Yeah. It was way more effective. Well, as fun as this was. Mm-hmm. Stand on the White House lawn. You know, get your picture taken for a badge afterwards. Stand in the Oval Office, watch a, a few minute screening, and that's it. Yeah, it was themed. Yeah. But not immersively. Yeah. Well, and I thought the intro video and the video at the end, I didn't care for them. It was very much geared towards the Comic Con crowd, assuming we were all dressed up as, you know, costumed heroes or yeah. what have you. Yeah. Um, not that it was highly judgmental, but it was highly judgmental. Yeah. Um, but overall, it was it was well done. It was good use of the space. It's certainly a, a landmark that stands out. Yes. Um, and usually every year at Con, there's, there's one or two of those. Yeah. What I else? was glad we did it. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. For me, it was just I was heading back uh, to uh, Artist Alley where uh, you had left a, a couple of lead weights for me to haul to the car. Thank you. And I was running a little early. And it's like, it's here. The line is negligible. What the heck? Because mm-hmm. that line's going to be crazy over the weekend. Yeah. Two other things I got over the course of the day. At one point, uh, when I was doing my, my walk of the hall, uh, I went by one of the uh, the publisher booths and I got the 365 Things to Do with Lego Bricks book, which is as much a book as a collection of Lego. That's cool. Um, they're handing them out. I'm like, I'll take one. That's very cool. So that was cool. Uh, the other thing is I had on my uh, Gokaiger shirt um, and uh, got another uh, uh, 
one of the uh, dyno charger batteries. Um, and it's funny because the, the toy we got at the panel is two of the batteries and a little uh, uh, miniature of the uh, the Zord. Mm. Whereas this is just one of the batteries or whatever. But, I mean, they're cognizant that it's not even the Super Mega Force uh, shirt. But, you know, it's it's Japanese, you know. Yes. Technically, it's from MMPR Toys. Um, but when I was in the Tokyo shirt yesterday and the guy's like, that's not even coming to the States. I think they appreciate that, you know. You're diehard. Uh, I'm diehard, but it's also something that half the people on the floor are going to have no idea. Mo- not even half. 95%. Yeah. And I actually had one guy in the small press yeah. recognize it. Yeah. Chatted for a few minutes. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if uh, how I'll do for the other two shirts. Mm. So I got two more. Um, we uh, we talked with a guy, had very cool conversation about Lego mm-hmm. at lunchtime. Uh, after we left the convention center, we went off site by quite a ways, by four or five miles. To just grab some dinner to go. Yeah. And I I have a warped sense of humor at times. I could not resist teasing the guy in line in front of us. Uh, he was dressed up as Robin. Yeah. I'm like, so I'm guessing you haven't even heard there's a Comic-Con in town. It's like, no, I, I dress this way every day. Yes. <laughs> you know, good sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a good conversation with them about the convention and how much they're enjoying it and uh, which parts they've been going to and stuff. Yeah, we were chatting for them for, you know, two, three minutes as we were all in line. And then they ordered and wandered off. But then as we ordered, we were taking it to go for back here at the hotel. While we were waiting, they called us over and continued chatting. Yeah, that was very cool. So, and one of the things I noticed, and we talked about it on the drive back uh, from, from there, was to me that was very typical of the crowd this year. Yeah, it's been a very, very nice, very open crowd this year. Very friendly crowd. A very cordial and courteous. Yeah. Because as I'm zipping through the hall and stuff, it gets crowded. Hey, excuse me, excuse me. You know, oops, sorry. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody's getting upset. If they bump into you, they apologize. They're not trying to be mean or anything. At one point, I was in line uh, for an author signing, and I was just chatting with the guy behind me. And frequently, they'll have two or three people move, and then they'll say, you know, stop here we need to leave the aisle open mm-hmm. stuff so i got moved but he was back at the aisle break and i'm now holding the sign that says this is a break in the line he's holding the other sign because both the employees have gone to check should we cap the line or not and there's about 30 feet between us because of how they're doing this and he's actually mouthing words to me of what's going on and yeah. stuff and I'm like, you, anybody looking at us would think we're friends. Mm-hmm. And we met three minutes ago. Yeah. Again, by and large, uh, you know, very friendly crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat down at one point in one of the lounge areas. And it was funny because there was a girl at a, a small table, a couple of chairs. And I'm like, I just want to grab the chairs. She's like, it's a communal table. Why does nobody want to use the communal table? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well... Uh, the way we ended up sitting with some folks at lunch was we saw a single chair that we thought was being held or in use. Well, actually, we were starting to walk on and he called out to me in the red shirt. You yeah. know, hey, here's this chair. You need another, you know? Yeah, that was very cool. Again, not just 
polite when they have to be, but outgoingly nice. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's atypical of this crowd, but I think it's potentially atypical of other crowds at other conventions we've been to. Don't get me wrong. We've sat down and had nice conversations in Toronto and Dallas and, you know, many other towns where we've gone to conventions, but... This has very much been a do-unto-others environment. I think it's also, by and large, a more experienced con-going crowd. Very true. I mean, I definitely have had people stop and do a 180 in front of me kind of thing a time or two here, but nowhere like some of the other conventions I've been to. Mm-hmm. You know, I have not had this time the um, the let me bring my soundtrack with me cosplayer that we'd seen up in Dallas and a few things like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there are a couple of times I've been in the hall today where there are some people clearly as a group and there was like a call response kind of a thing going. It's like, I don't know what this Marco Polo, because it wasn't Marco Polo, but you know what I mean? It felt like that. Mm-hmm. But it was it was funny. Nobody was upset. Well, I uh, went over to talk to Steve Bryant at mm-hmm. Athena Voltaire at one point because I noticed, you know, nobody's at his table and I know him casually, so I'll go say hi for a moment. And I had sent you a text right before I walked up and you texted me back and I was teasing him right before that of, I love these watches because they have canned responses for mm-hmm. texts. And so, of course, I think one of my friends has a right to hate me because i sent her five okays yesterday mm-hmm. and steve looks at me and goes okay yeah and you text it back and i'm like watch this and i hit a few buttons and he watches as i send you okay and then by the time i get over there the only thing he would say to me was okay <laughs> yes and i'm like boy i've taught him a new way to entertain himself well when i went by later because his table didn't have anyone buy it at the moment. I'm like, okay, I'll tease him for a moment. He looks at me and he goes, okay, you said you can program those responses, right? I said, yeah. He said, you need to program in all the things you find on Magic 8-Ball. Well, I told you earlier, yeah, sure, whatever should be one of them. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, the We'd gotten Pebble uh, Time watches because I am notoriously bad at uh, this convention in particular. Of just not hearing my cell phone yeah. and getting the uh, electrical shock or, or vibration, I guess, is what they technically call it. Uh, certainly uh, gets a little bit more of my attention there. Um, it's helped out a lot. And then also being able to put my uh, panel schedule and stuff on there and just mm-hmm. cycle through it. That That's how I got to the right room for the Power Ranger thing. I would have been a, a block off or whatever, and that would have cost me time. Might not have gotten in the room. Yeah. Yeah, it's worked out really well for me. This is a show as more so than others, but I think it applies to other shows where use the technology at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, figure your battery on your cell phone is going to get drained dry just because it's fighting for cell signal, etc. But augmenting it again, in our case, with a, a smartwatch like the Pebble Time worked out well. Yesterday, um, I was at aisle 1500. A friend texted me to say, I'll hold steady at 1900 and told me where. Come on over. I texted back coming and started walking. I got to 1900. I said, hi. I gave him a hug. We talked for a few minutes. And he said, oh, hang on. Someone's texting me. Oh, yeah. Pulls out his phone and says, hey, look, you're coming. There is a uh, time dilation to be had sometimes on cell phone uh, texting. Yeah. Because, again, there's so much of it going on. Oh, exactly. Exactly. 
And that's one of the things I try to warn people about with that convention center is just don't assume your text is instantly going to get through. Hope it will. I have had that problem in past years where one or two people would get a little irate that I didn't respond instantly to something I'd never gotten. Yes. Just because, again, the system gets overwhelmed. Well, You've got 100 plus thousand, 130,000 geeks yeah. descending in a very densely populated by electronic gadget area. I actually called you at one point because I had texted you and I didn't think you'd gotten it. Mm -hmm. And I knew the time dilation happens. So, and then I, and when we talked and I hung up, I'm like, you know, I probably made the problem worse. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. I try to, to leverage the, uh, the technology as best I can, but I also try not to be reliant on it. Yes. You know, uh, sometimes just having a watch and a piece of paper with the program on it is all you need. Yeah. And sometimes all you can rely on. I have had years where some technology doesn't pan out for me. Yeah. So uh, today went well for me. My feet are just killing because uh, literally I walked the length of the convention center multiple times uh, and then zigzagged up uh, through, again, all four blocks on the, the C through A area, as well as having done most of uh, the hall, you know, EF area. A little less so on the DE because those are the bigger booths mm -hmm. and the ones that don't have as much direct appeal to me. I, if I'm going to get something from Mattel, it's because I've been standing in the toy aisle for too long at Walmart, Target, or Toys R Us. And they'll get my money, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not something I feel I need to, to, to spend necessarily as much time on here. And at some point in the next day or two, I'll, I'll definitely walk the rest of the hall. Yeah. And for me, the big challenge is can I uh, draw down on the map where, what I think I've done, what I have left to do. Yeah. Um, but before I even start that, I'm probably going to try to figure out what remaining panels on Saturday, Sunday I want to go to. Yeah, I need to look at the Saturday schedule. I already know uh, from having looked at when the book signings are that there's an author who came up from New Zealand mm. that I really wish I could go to her signing and meet her, but it's opposite the uh, press opportunity for Star Trek 50 years. Yeah, and, that's a tough call. I mean, it's Star Trek. That's part of, though, why I spent quite a bit of time last night and the night before going through the panels for, uh, for today and, and, and yesterday, just trying to make sure I knew when things were. Because there are a couple of things I could have gone to today. I had literally three or four other panels on my list. But to me today, it's like, you know, I haven't really walked the floor. It's getting to Friday. I need to do that. Because I, I, to me, that's a big deal. I can always find panels of interest. And that's a compliment to San Diego. Oh, absolutely. But I can also sometimes find those on either YouTube or Con HQ or something like that now. Yeah. So the advantage of walking the floor is just seeing all the vendors that are there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's literally sensory overload for me. Yeah. But at this point, again, looking at what the panels are, because Saturday is one of the big days for the panels. That's when they know they're going to have the big crowds and they know they need to draw the crowd off the floor, too. Yeah, agreed. Um, but it's it's a ton of fun. Um, definitely a convention more worth going to. Yeah. But, man, be ready to walk just tons. I, I My... The pebble does step counting, as we've talked about. And I was at like 4,000 a day-ish. And I'm doing like 16,000, 17,000 plus probably. I haven't even looked for today. Today's going to be scary. I should check what today's was. I checked mine a few hours ago and I was terrified. Um, my feet are still functional. That's, that's uh, frankly, better than I had expected. Well, that's true. 
But once we stop recording, I'm going to probably, you know, hop in bed, go through the program listing and not get all my feet unless I absolutely have to. For those who wonder, I always knew John was a wise man. So anything else uh, to talk about on Friday or call it a we're done for this part? I think we're done. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.